0: Force Park? Great to see you today. Glad you are here. This is part three. We are wrapping up our series today. Going to begin a brand new series next week. So glad you've chosen to be with us. Well, those of you who know me probably already know I am not an avid runner. Um, You don't have to laugh too loud, but unless I'm chasing Grayson, my two-year-old grandson around the living room, or Colby, my dog, takes off after a rabbit while I'm holding his leash, I'm reasonably stable. Uh, but I do know this, the most exciting part of a marathon is the beginning. The crowd is enthusiastic. The runner is filled with energy. The gun goes off. People are screaming. I mean, it's thrilling. And the second most exciting part is the end. The ticker tape is taunt across the finish line. The runner, family, and friends are gathered waiting patiently for him or her to come across the finish line. The atmosphere is festive, rest and water just a few yards away, the experience is electrifying. But the most challenging part of a race is the middle. It's the in-between, the long, boring, monotonous, pounding mile after mile. It's in the middle when one wonders if he or she should continue. It's in the middle when you wonder what you were thinking when you signed up. It's in the middle when you find little motivation to keep going. The crowd is too far behind, you can't hear them, your family too far ahead, you can't see them, you're not positive you will make it, you're exhausted, thirsty, your feet hurt. It's in the middle when you must dig deep and find motivation inside because there is little motivation coming from anywhere else. It's in the middle of a marathon where it's brutal, where most people give up have a change of heart, decide to do something else, conclude they were not cut out for this kind of punishment. Well, if you've been with us over the last couple of weeks, we are navigating our way through what it means to break free from all things holding us back relationally, emotionally, and especially spiritually so we can run the race of life successfully. And this, peop, this series is especially designed for those of you who profess to follow Jesus. And we've said, hey, since you've done so, according to the gospel, according to the good news of Jesus, you are set free. You are delivered. You are not in bondage to anything or anyone. But if you've been with us over the last couple of weeks, you know that not all of us are living freely in our daily lives. Many of us remain bound to everything from addictions to attitudes. And we've been identifying a few of the things that keep us bound. One of those is huge. And it is because it is that after we prayed the prayer, we invited Jesus into our hearts. We just kind of moved on with life as if nothing actually happened. We failed to mature. We remained spiritual babies. And if you're interested in more of that, you can see part one. We got into the details of that, fleshed a lot of that out. Then we moved into part two last week. And we discovered that because many of us didn't grow up, we found ourselves in some deep weeds in life. Although we never intended to get ourselves addicted or tangled up in an affair or whatever, our direction in life led us there. And maturity teaches us to make better choices instead of asking questions like, is this permitted we start asking questions like is this wise because that's a better question to ask but many of us didn't ask that those questions those wise questions we got ourselves into messes which left us with guilt and shame and secrets and guilt shame and secrets are wearing us down weighing us down preventing us from running and winning the race of life and paul the apostle warns us to throw off all the weight that is slowing us down and to get rid of the sin that's tripping us up, then we can run the race of life with freedom. For details, you can see part two. So I just took two messages and condensed them down say, why did not you do that the last couple of weeks? And we could have got out here early, right? But those are kind of both messages condensed down, part one, part two. And now we're jumping into part three today and wrapping up this series. And that's the reason I began Today's message, talking about running a race, because here's what I know, all right? Some of you will take what I say in this series very seriously, and you will or you already have been evaluating your life. And you will look at where you are bound, you will deal with a few things holding you back, you will allow the gospel, the grace, the good news of Jesus to dissolve guilt and shame and expose some of the secrets operating in the background of your life and you will get healthier and you will begin running the race of life with more freedom than ever. And we as a church body will cheer you on and we will be excited and motivated and we will do everything we can to keep you inspired and you will be inspired for a while. And then you will hit the wall at some point in the middle of the race, and you will not know what to do. And today's message is designed to help you when you are at the wall and you don't know what to do, how to get through it, all right? So let's jump into part three, kind of put a bow on this series, and we'll move on to something else next week. A survey of nearly 300 marathon runners discovered 43% of them, nearly half of all the marathon runners, say that at some point during the marathon, they experience similar symptoms. Here are just a few of the symptoms that most, or I should say about half, of all the runners experience. They say that there is some point during the race when you're feeling great. You're just running along and you feel like you could do this for a long time, and all of a sudden you just don't feel great anymore. You just lose that sense of well-being, and you're just not sure you want to keep moving. They also say that you have a strong urge to walk. In other words, you just want to slow down. They also said you have a feeling of dead legs. Your legs just give out, and you don't know if you can kind of get them moving anymore. They just don't want to answer the call to keep going. 43% of them said they experienced dizziness, negative thoughts, and doubt begins to creep in, both their mind and their body have a strong urge to quit, and they feel completely depleted. Several of these symptoms can be lifted from physical marathons and drop right into the spiritual marathon of our life. So here's what I want to do. I want to help those of you who are either at the wall Spiritually, relationally, or emotionally, or you're getting ready to hit the wall. Because I know there are a few of you sitting in this room right now, many came through the first service, watching online, and that is exactly where you are. For a few years or a few months or whatever, you were running the race, the spiritual race, with vigor and energy. You were excited, you were happy. You just couldn't get enough of reading scripture, coming to church, going into worship, being in a group, going on an outreach trip, whatever it is. Or maybe you were more private and you just had this incredible sense of well-being and moving along in your spiritual life, and all of a sudden, you hit this wall. You have a strong urge to stop. Negative thoughts are creeping in, so is doubt, and you just feel depleted spiritually, You just are tired, and you wonder sometimes, is it worth it? You look around at other people, or you come here on Sundays, and other people lift their hands, and they're singing, and seem as if, you know, their spiritual life is humming along. You look at other people's marriages. They seem to be smiling at one another. They seem to love one another, and you wonder what's going on with, you know, my life because they seem to have it together. People are giving. They're joining groups. They're doing different things, and you, no way. Maybe COVID, the whole, you know, Staying out of church and staying off of work or school and sitting home, it has just drained you spiritually. You come in here and you sit down and we ask you to stand and we begin to sing and the band brings amazing music and you know you ought to feel something, you know you ought to feel some sense of energy or excitement, but there's just nothing there and you're just dead on the inside and you want to quit well, we're going to do everything we can today to help, and I'm going to get as practical as I possibly can and just kind of take out of my life and just drop it into your life and take what you can and and save the rest of it because you'll probably need it at another point. First Corinthians 9, here's what Paul says. Paul says, don't you know that all the runners in the stadium run, but only one gets the prize? So run to win. In other words, have an attitude of I am going to finish this race, I am going to win this race, I'm going to keep moving forward. Everyone who competes practices self-discipline in everything. The runners do this to get a crown of leaves that shrivel up and die, but we do it to receive a crown that never dies. So that tells me that how we prepare matters. How you run matters. What you do when you hit the wall matters. That's what this series is about, especially this message today. So I'm going to provide you three questions, very practical, very simple, not profound, but hopefully helpful, three questions you can ask yourself so that you are prepared before you hit the wall so you are ready to keep moving and run in a way to win. Here's the first question. Do I understand the race? So what do you mean, Scott? You have to understand the nature of what this is. What you have joined, when you said, I want to follow Christ, Paul refers to it as a race, a race that we are to discipline ourselves for, a race we are to be prepared to to try and win, a race that self-discipline is necessary. It is a marathon, not a sprint. That is the nature of this thing you joined. From start to finish, it is a process. Too often we think of our Christian journey as one and done. We pray to prayer, we attend church every now and then, we just kind of move on with life. But that is not an accurate depiction of our spiritual race. Listen to Peter. This is one of those passages that I'm not sure a lot of us have read, or if we have read it, we haven't really taken the time to meditate on it or think it through. 2 Peter chapter 1, listen to this grand comment at the beginning, and then he really breaks it down into a very practical step. He says, through his honor and glory, he has given us his precious and wonderful promises that you may share the divine nature and escape the world's immorality that sinful craving produces. Now watch this. Here's what we ought to do. This is is what Christian life is about. This is why, because of these promises that you've been given, this is why, because of the gospel, this is why, because of all that Christ has done for you, this is why you must make every effort To add moral excellence to your faith. And to moral excellence, knowledge. And to knowledge, self-control. And to self-control, endurance. And to endurance, godliness. And to godliness, affection for others. And to affection for others, love. Now watch this next verse. If all these are yours and they are growing in you, they'll keep you from becoming inactive and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice how Peter says that once you begin this race, once you say yes, once you start following Christ, you are to add to this and add to this and to this add to this And to this, add to this, and all of these things are to be growing in you. And if you add to these things and they are growing in you, then you will cease to be inactive and unfruitful. That tells me that there is an an adding and there is a growing and there is a process and all of that takes time. You have to understand the nature of this race. And understand that it is a lifelong marathon, not a sprint. Hebrews chapter 12. Here's what Paul says, or the writer of Hebrews, excuse me. So then, with endurance, let's also run the race that is laid out in front of us. With endurance, that takes time, that takes energy, that has to, you have to learn how to make it through the wall. The race that is laid out in front of us, since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let's throw off extra baggage and get rid of the sin that trips us up. Folks, the journey is long and winding. It's rarely straight. It requires endurance. It requires more strength and energy today. We are to take an inventory of what is weighing us down and throw away those things that are slowing us. See, that. that got to understand the nature of this thing it's not one and done it is a marathon that we entered into that will go the rest of our lives and we are to take an inventory of where we are how we're doing and move forward with growth and also keep in mind this is just kind of coming out of my life and sharing it with you you are going to run into detours along this race You're going to be running along, and everything's going to be okay, and all of a sudden, there's going to be a detour that you did not expect, and it is going to delay you, and it's going to take you time to get back around to the road again, and you're going to have to walk this detour, and some of us, it's going to take longer than others. Here are two of the most common detours that I have faced in my life. Number one, fear. Man, I don't know when or how, but you are going to face fear from time to time, fear of an uncertain future, fear of your past catching up with you, fear of your present being more than you can handle, fear you won't make it, fear you don't have what it takes. There are going to be times In this race when you are humming along and everything seems to be going okay and all of a sudden you are going to have this detour in front of you and it is going to shoot you off to the left or the right and it's going to take you a while to get back to where you were. And fear is a very common detour. In fact, fear was so common in the lives of the disciples, Jesus constantly commanded them to not fear. In fact, if you read through the Gospels and just read the way he interacted with his disciples, it almost sounds like a greeting rather than, hey, y'all, how you doing? It was, hey, y'all, fear not. He said it over and over and over again. Why? Because fear is a constant threat during this race. Now, there are three common ways you deal with fear, and we all probably deal with it our own way, but this is what I've seen. One is we just try to avoid fear altogether. The people who try to avoid fear are those who try to take no risk. They try nothing new. They kind of stick their head in the sand, hope that, you know, life won't throw them a curveball. But it does not matter how much you try to avoid fear. It does not matter how much you try to take, you know, play it safe. Life has a way of throwing things at you you were not prepared for. And if you're not ready, that fear will take you out of the race. It won't just be a detour for you. It'll be a bridge out, and you will crash. You cannot entirely avoid fear, so you had better be prepared. The other way we try to deal with fear is we just hope it'll go away. I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. Everything's going to be okay. Just wait it out. Eventually, the situation will change. Eventually, things will get back to normal. That's silly. That's not how you deal with fear. The third way is the way that I recommend, and that is you face it, and you learn to get over it. Whenever you are faced with a situation that causes fear in you, you take a look at that fear dead in the eyes, and you face it. You face it, and you realize that no one moves forward without fear. Courage is not. Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is feeling the fear and doing what is the right thing anyway. You take a look at it and say, you know what, I am scared, I am fearful, but I know what I need to do, and I am going to do it. And then you feed. The third thing is you feed your faith, not your fear. Now, folks, in my life, throughout my journey with Christ, I cannot tell you how many times I have faced fearful situations. Times that I thought I didn't know if I was going to get over this. I didn't know if I was going to get around it. I didn't know what I was going to do. I have one of those, you know, personalities that can take a small situation and turn it into a very large situation. I can what if myself into anxiety. I can what if myself into paralyzing fear. I'm better now than I used to be, but for years I just literally. Well, but what if this happens, and what if that happens, and then what am I going to do? And I would just get myself all wound up and all concerned, and I, you know, kind of stick your fingers in your ear, hope it goes away, and no. I cannot tell you how many times that I've had to face that fearful situation and deal with it in front of me, and I try my best today to feed my faith rather than my fear. Say, how do you do that? I try to find some people around me who will feed my faith rather than my fear. Sometimes that means you have to withdraw yourself from certain groups of people and put yourself in other groups of people, groups of people who will feed faith in you groups of people who will push you along, groups of people who will not drag you down and sit with you and just say how bad life is, open up Scripture, begin to dive into faith-filled truth, begin to read other books that fill my heart and my sails with wind, spend time in prayer, spend time doing a variety of different things that begin to build my faith rather than my fears. But I'm telling you, fear is a huge detour in our race. And the second one, most common, is failure. And folks, this detour is brutal. Brutal. I don't need to spend a lot of time on this one. We all fail. I mean, when I say fail, I'm talking about flat on our faces, dirt in our teeth, bloody noses fail. Anybody ever done that? I mean, all out, boom. And if we don't know how to overcome the detour failure, failure is one of those things that will take us out of the race. It won't be a detour and eventually we get back. Once again, it will be one of those things that we don't recover from. I want you to listen to me very carefully. You will fail. You will not always make the right decisions. You will not always say the right thing and do the right thing. There'll be times when you screw up and you will say things that you shouldn't have said and you will do things you shouldn't have done and you will be humiliated and embarrassed and you will have to go and apologize to people and you will have to say, you know what, I was a jerk and I allowed my feelings and my emotions to get in in front of me and lead me and this is a habit or a hang-up or a hobby or an addiction or whatever and you got to come clean. You will fail. And I've had to learn over time that the most important question to ask right after I have fallen flat on my face and bombed is not necessarily, what did I do wrong? Yes, there is a time for you to go, wait a minute, what in the world did I do wrong? And admit the wrong, yes, and make restitution with someone and apologize. Absolutely, that is 100% important. Sorrow will lead to some change in our lives, but... Rather than saying, what did I do wrong, I say, ask myself questions like this. Do I know why I did what I did? That's a huge question. Because if you don't know why you did what you did, you will do it again and still not know why. It's a pattern in your life. Another question to ask yourself is, am I learning and growing from what I did wrong? Do I know why I did it and did I learn anything from it? And where am I going to go from here? Am I going to get up and move forward, or am I going to sit here and weep and cry and bellyache and complain and want everybody else to make me feel better? And the other question is, how can I use what I have learned to help somebody else? And folks, if you can move through that failure, and rather than allowing that failure to paralyze you, Just recognize it as a detour and begin to ask yourself these questions. Do I know why I did what I did? And it may be tied to things in your childhood. It could be tied to personality quirks. It could be tied to lies that you have believed. And am I learning and growing from it? And where am I going to go from here? And can I take what I'm learning and help somebody else so they don't bomb? Then you can take that failure and you can Put it into your life, that the learning and the lessons from it, and actually help you run the race and get through the wall. Don't let failure keep you down. Whatever you did, for whatever reason you did it, it can become your greatest asset if you learn from it and grow because of it. All right, ready for the second question? Thank you. Doesn't matter, I'm going to give it to you anyway, right? Question number two, huge question that I ask myself, Am I surrounded by the right people? You want to make it through the wall? You've got to surround yourself with the right people. Folks, I cannot emphasize the value of good friends enough. In fact, I'm not sure it is possible to successfully finish the race without at least one true friend. Let me tell you why. Ecclesiastes 4. Love this verse. It's one of those you ought to memorize. Two are better than one. That's it. Life is better with two than just one. Any problem you face, it's better if you have someone with you. Why is that? Because they have a good return for their hard work. If either should fall, one could pick up the other. But how miserable are those who fall and don't have a companion to help them up? I'm telling you, if you want to make it through the wall you're going to have to have some friends in your life, the right friends in your life, who will help you when you bomb, who will help you when you're on a detour to get back on track, who will help you when you fail, who will help you when you feel eaten up with fear. Friends, detours are going to come and you've got to have somebody to help you when you can't see straight, think straight, when your feeling is gone, when the motivation isn't there. Now, every time I do a message like this and talk about friendship, somebody comes up to me, and this is nothing wrong with this, I just know how we think, and say, well, how do I, how do I find those friends? How do I choose those friends? And this is, this is what I've learned over time. Choosing friends, difficult. I'm telling you, difficult. I, I used to think it was easy. If you had asked me 20 years ago, how do you, you know, select a friend, I would have said something, you know, just You know, the people you laugh with and cry with, they're probably your friends. You know, you share some emotional things in life, they're your friends. I have learned that laughing with someone and crying with someone doesn't make them your friend. I have laughed and cried with people, and I have attached my hopes and dreams to their coattail and expected them to come through for me. And I've learned in my journey that there are lots of people who are friendly. There are few people who are friends. So it is not easy. I'll tell you that straight up. It is not easy. So what I've learned in my life are to ask some questions to determine. I'm going to give you a lot of questions today, okay? I told the first service, I'm just throwing all the hay out there. You just eat what you want, okay? I'm just going to keep tossing it out. You just take it and use what you can. Some questions I ask myself to help me select the right friends and to be the right friend to someone else so that they can help me through the wall and I can help them through the wall. This is just some things I've learned one of the questions I ask is, do we have the same values? When I say that, I don't mean does that person have just my values, but do I have their values? Do we have the same values? Do Do we value marriage the same? Do we value friendships the same? Do we value scripture the same? Do we value other people the same? Do we value money the same? Do we value the way we talk with one another and interact with one another and treat other people? Are our values aligned? The second question I say is, do, this is huge to me, do we remain together when things are difficult and complicated? I mean, do we stay in each other's corners, not because they're necessarily the right corners, but because we're in those corners? Let me explain what I mean. A true friend is one who sticks with you even when you screw up, even when you choose the wrong side of an issue because they value you more than they value your position. you have any idea how many times I've chosen the wrong position? How many times I've taken a side and I was on the wrong side, and if every friend walked out on me when I took the wrong side or had a wrong opinion, I wouldn't have any friends. Friends are are those who say, you know what? I've got your back. I'm going to be in your corner, and when I think you're wrong, I'll tell you I think you're wrong, but I'm still going to stick with you that's a friend. Watch what they do when things get tough. Watch what happens when things are complicated. Watch what happens when maybe you're wrong. Watch how you treat them when they're wrong. Okay? That's just me. And the last one I'll give you, we could go through I'm sure 20, but just the last one I'll give you is do we cheer when the other wins? No competition. Hey man, if you win, awesome. If you get the applause, great. If you get the promotion, great. If you're on the platform and and the spotlight's on you, great. I love you. I want you to win. And then when you win, they cheer for you. You cheer for one another. That's a friend. So find people that have the aligned values. Find people who will stick with you, and you'll stick with them even when things are tough and complicated and also Pick people and select people and keep people in your life who will cheer for you when you win and you'll cheer for them when they win. Mark 6, 7. We're not even going to put this on the screen, but this is an important verse. It says, Jesus sent the disciples out two at a time. Two at a time. Not by themselves. Sent them together. Why? For every reason I've given you and a whole lot more. We do it together. You need one another. All right? third question that we ask to get through the wall is have I developed healthy habits folks the time to develop healthy habits is not when you're standing at the wall you know how many times I have stood at the wall and thought man I sure wish I would have developed this habit or that habit because I need it right now now is the time to put habits in your life now is the time to develop healthy habits. Let go of destructive ones and begin to build good ones. And we could this isn't a series in and of itself. Could give you 10, could give you 12 wonderful habits to have in our life. I'm going to give you one. Something that's very close to me and something I'm hopeful will be a part of your life, your journey, your race. I'm going to give it to you, then I will need to explain it. Make a habit, develop a habit of personal growth growing. What do you mean by that, Scott? This is just me, but I refuse to remain the same. I want to do whatever I must, befriend whoever I must, go wherever I must, let go of whatever I must, because I want to be better this time next year than I am today. I do not want to get stagnant and assume that I have everything I need to get through the wall because here's what I know let me give you a warning okay in my life so far I have made it through every single wall I have encountered but I don't know if I'll make it through the next one so far Every wall of fear, every trial, every tribulation, every issue, it doesn't mean that I'm not limping today. It doesn't mean that I came through with no bloody nose. It doesn't mean that I came through. I've got bruises and I've got limps and I've got crooked teeth and I've got a crooked nose because I've banged it so many times. I've got lessons. I've got dark times I'm not, a, I'm not proud of. But so far, I'm still standing. But I don't know what's around the corner. And if I am not committed to continuing to grow and continuing to learn and continuing to improve and continuing, I don't know what's going to happen. Let me give you an illustration from Scripture. Peter. I love Peter. You know, if you're new to church, new to Scripture, man, so the life of Peter in the New Testament, you'll probably find yourself being very similar to him in certain areas. I love him because he just kept putting his foot in his mouth and made promises he couldn't keep, and I, this is like a lot like me. Peter, I'm going to just tell you this story, kind of my own translation, Scott translation, okay? Peter sits down with Jesus. Peter's one of the 12 disciples, and Peter basically says this to Jesus. Jesus, look, you see all these other disciples, these other 11? I'm telling you, I know them. Some of them are flakes. They're not going to stay with you. Some of them are going to leave. Some of them are going to depart. Some of them are probably going to disappoint you. But I want you to know, I won't leave you. I got your back. I'm tough. I get what you're doing. Wink, wink. The whole kingdom thing, I get it. I understand it. I got some inside information. I'm going to hang with you. Everybody else may walk away not me. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, Peter, you have no idea how weak you really are. Oh, no, 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 Jesus. You you must be talking about John or you must be talking about Andrew, not me. But I'm, I'm on your side. Everybody else may deny, walk away, get scared, but not me. You can count on me. I will be here if everybody else walks away. Peter, you have no idea how weak you really are. In fact, Peter, within 24 hours, you will deny you even know who I am. Jesus, not me. Not me. And we all, I shouldn't say we all, but most of us know the story. He denies Christ three times, 24 hours later, less than that. Folks, we can look at our life and go, I've got what it takes I'm ready. I've read scripture. I've gone to church. And boy, I tell you, man, that band was up there singing. I felt the presence of God. And I love to read scripture every day. And I'm, I'm, I got what it takes. I'm going to make it through. You've made it through so far. But you have no idea what's around the corner. That is not to scare you. That is to uh, warn you that there are things in this life that we are just not prepared to face, most of us. There are, you know, when we were kids, I don't know about you, but kid, you know, I was afraid of monsters. And then I was told, there are no monsters. Now I know there are. There's some really ugly monsters in this world. There's things out there that are very scary, very concerning. Things that are stronger than me. Things that are more nuanced than me. Things that are more intelligent than me. Things that take better people out than me. None of it's stronger than Christ. But all of it can take somebody out. All I'm saying is commit, commit, commit. You want to make it through the wall? Commit, commit, commit to growing. Growing. So, what's inside me needs to matter more than what's outside me that means your attitude your mental health your ability to love your willingness to serve your generosity on and on ought to be more important to you this is my soapbox i got an opportunity today i got a mic and a platform i'm a, you know more important to you than what you drive how much you bench press whether you could put on the bikini for the s- summer season, the color of your hair, if you lost the weight from the holidays. But it seems like for a lot of us, what's on the outside matters more than the inside, and that's the reason we're not ready when we hit the wall. It's a commitment to making sure the inside of you is the healthiest part of you. So three questions, Give me a lot of questions today. Three questions you need to ask about growing on the inside. One, what am I reading? Folks, I have probably read myself out of about every slump that I've ever been in. I have made it through the wall because of at least a book or two. We are desperate for sharp minds who are also Christians. People who have developed a healthy way of thinking and dealing with the problems in this world. Now, if you come to my office, I've said this before, if you come to my office, you could could probably get an idea of the walls that I have hit in my life based on the books that are on my shelf. Because I've probably purchased five or six books for every single wall that I've come up. Why? Because I didn't know what I was doing. Why? Because I was ignorant. Why? Because I was scared. Why? Because I failed. You can go to this shelf. Yeah, this is when I was struggling with this. Yep, they're over there. Oh, boy, I remember that season. Oh, my gosh. And I still go back to them. Now, let's be honest, okay? This is going to sound like a little, little preachy, and I don't mean it that way. But some of us aren't reading a lot. And this is not about those who enjoy reading or not reading. I understand everybody has different learning styles. This is not about that at all. But we immerse ourselves into lots of other things. We love the Netflix and Prime and HBO and all the shows that come out. And, hey, you know what? Not knocking it. I watch shows too. Some of them are amazing. Some of them are creative. Some are incredible, insightful. All oh, that. That's not what I'm saying at all. But I am helping you, hopefully, ask better questions. So ask yourself, no matter what you're doing. I don't care if you're reading and it's on audio and you're reading it by listening to it. That's reading. It's getting it inside you. Fine. I talked to people in the lobby earlier after the first service about different kinds of books they're reading. don't care if it's a novel, as long as it's truth and it's getting into your heart and mind and challenging and pushing you and helping you to develop the strength you need and the stamina you need, fine. But ask yourself these questions. Am I filling my mind and my heart, whatever it is, a book, a movie, whatever, Or am I filling my heart and my mind with what will help me stay in the race? Does it assist me with getting through the wall when I hit it? Now that's a wise question. See, folks, listen, you can can watch anything you want. I'm not going to give you a list of things to watch or not watch. You you can read anything you want. I'm not going to give you a list. I'm not even going to start that. It's not my job, not my role. And we mess up every time we start to put lists list together. Not going to begin that. But I will tell you this. Those who are faithful and those who get through the wall and those who don't quit asks better questions than can I. They ask questions like, should I? They ask better questions than, is this permitted? They ask questions like, is this the best choice? Because there are lots of things you can do that I don't recommend. And there's lots of things that are permitted, but I think are very unwise. So it all depends on whether you want to stay in the race and get through the wall, or you want a detour to take you out at some point. So every Christian, I highly recommend you have some kind of book, some kind of information that you're putting inside of you all the time, that's challenging you even outside of Scripture. What I mean is that do not just Scripture, but having other things that begin to feed you and open your mind and your heart up and challenge you. i got to get finished with this. Number two, how am I meditating? This is about prayer. This is about meditating on truth, spending time allowing your mind and soul to be bent and shaped toward beauty, goodness, and love. You see, each of us meditate on something. We turn our thoughts and our minds over and over and over in life on something. Somebody says, well, Scott, meditation, that sounds so spiritual and so, so, so lofty. I'm not even sure I know how to meditate. Yes, you do know how to meditate. No, I don't know how to meditate. Okay. Do you know how to worry? Oh, yeah, I know how to worry. All right. What, what, are you, what are you meditating on? Well, I'm, I might go to the doctor this week, and if I, and what? And if I go to the doctor, and, and she says this, then this means this, and then now I'm going to have to do this, and then that's going to, and what about my bills, and I've got to pay this, and that means I've got to save on, you are meditating on all of those things. You're turning them over, you're chewing on it, you're sucking the juice out of it, you're thinking it through, you're what if in it all together. You know what, do the exact same thing, except you did it on truth, you did it on goodness, you did it on love. You did on mercy. You turn it over and you turn it over and you turn it over. You get a verse of scripture that's filled with promise and filled with truth and you turn it over and you turn it over and you look at it from this angle and you look at it from that angle and you say, God, what does this mean for me? And what does this mean for my marriage? And what does this mean for my money? And what does this mean for our church? And what does this mean for my kids? And what does this mean for my city? You're meditating, meditating, meditating. Fill your mind with truth and you will see all things in your life begin to become more and more free. All right, last one. I challenge you. Sorry. I challenge you. Spend 15 minutes a day, just 15 minutes a day, with all the audio and all the stimulation turned off and just meditate on love and grace and beauty and goodness and truth. The last one is in my building community. In my building community. Folks, this is about forming friendships with like-minded people, people who are in the race with you. You see, you will be, and I hope that this comes across well, you will be the exact same person as you are right now, this time next year, except for the books you read, your mind, the friends you select, your community, and the prayers you pray, your heart. What shapes your mind shapes your future? What shapes your community shapes your future. What shapes your heart shapes your future. That's why Paul tells us whatever is good and lovely and of good report and holy and pure, think, 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 meditate, 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 dwell, dwell, dwell on these things. Let's pray. Father, as we wrap this series up today, We've done what we can to take truth and just toss it out practical things that we can do because father some of us need to be aroused we need to be awakened we need to be pushed out of some of our lethargy some of our ruts that we've dug over the last year or so father we need to be awakened and realize that we have a race to run and at the end There is something so much better than a trophy, so much better than just something we hang on a wall. Father, there's lives to be changed. There's your kingdom to be expanded. There's love to be given. There are people to be welcomed. There are parties to be thrown for people who don't even feel at all worthy of a party. And we get the opportunity to lead people into worship and to Go on, on outreach trips to spread good news and love to people. We get the opportunity to give and serve and build something that will outlast us. Awaken us. Break us free. You already have done so, but we got to learn how to live that. Walk it out and run this race to win. Thank you for this challenge today. Thank you for the truth that will set us free. We ask these things in the name that is above every name. The name of Jesus. Amen. You guys, have a great day. Thanks for being with us.